Just out of curiosity, how many, how many dads do we have today? Okay, put your hand down, let me ask this question. How many of you are honored to be a dad? Isn't it the greatest thing? Now, I was talking to some folks before church, and they said, Dad's great, but Grandpa's pretty awesome. <laughs> and I said, yes, I, I look forward to, to being that one day in its proper timing and proper way. But uh, what, what a blessing that God gives to us. You know, church, so many times we get focused on the bad things in life that we forget to remember the good things. And being a dad, having godly dads in our life, having a dad that's there to protect, a dad that's there to love, a, a dad that, that's there to take your side when mom gets upset. Dads are awesome. And so uh, appreciate all the dads. Here you go. And if, if your dad is still with us, I encourage you to say, I love you. Tell him thank you. If your dad has gone on to be with the Lord, then I hope you know that their impact is not forgotten. And sometimes days like this make it hard when you say, I, I wish I could take him out to eat. I wish I could send him a card. wish I could be with him. And so I hope that you know that even though you're not physically able to be with your dad, that it's a great reminder that that legacy lives on through you, through what he has instilled in your life. Well, we're glad that, that you're here, and we're glad for what God has in store. And, and I was thinking as we were going uh, through the, the child dedication time that, you know, parenting is hard. Now you say, well, you just said dad's being the greatest thing, and now you're talking about parenting is hard. Well, it's hard because, let's face it, dads, our flesh gets in the way sometimes, doesn't it? You know, if the baby is small and wakes up in the middle of the night crying, rarely do we get up and go, okay, dad to the rescue. Most of the time, it's, it's three in the morning. I'm exhausted. What could you possibly want? I remember when Anna was smaller, there were times I would, I would hold her and she would be crying, and I'd say, just tell dad. I'll fix it but I have no idea what you're saying. Parenting is tough. It is hard to do. And especially today with all the things that, that are out there, the dangers for the kids that you have to be watching for and protecting against. And uh, I, I saw a thing, it's been a couple years ago, but where hackers had hacked into baby monitors and were listening to conversations. And I thought, you know, is there nothing safe anymore? Do you have to be on guard for everything? And the answer is, yes, you do. You have to be vigilant. You have to be keeping your eye open. And so as we are looking at Father's Day, but as we are continuing our series on godly, mighty men, I just prayed and I said, God, who, who is it that sets that example for us? Because I'm thankful that God gives us in his word examples that we can follow and also sometimes examples of what not to do. But I'm thankful that we have an example of what to do as a godly dad, as a godly, mighty man. Now, ladies, this message is for you as well. So don't just kind of tune out and be, well, this is for him. And make sure he stays awake so he can, you know. 
This is for you as well, because the characteristics that we're going to look at of this particular godly, mighty man is going to apply to you as well. And that man, that person is Job. Job. A lot of times you hear this phrase, the patience of Job. And people will say, boy, I wish I had that patience. Really? Do you want to go through what Job went through to get that kind of patience? And the answer is, no, I'm good. I'm good. A lot of times we want the blessings without the, the struggle, and Job was one who, who had to walk through those fires. But Job is one of those examples of what it is like to be a godly, mighty man, but what it's like to be a dad, a good dad, a godly dad. But before we get into those particular characteristics, we need to understand just a brief overview of Job's life. So when you start in in Job chapter 1, you find out that there's this description of Job, and Job has his kids, and he has his wealth. He's a very wealthy man, and he is praying for his kids, and it is just like the perfect story. And I encourage you, men, to go and read Job 1 and be like, man, that's, that's it right there. We often talk about the American dream. This is every man's dream. You have success, you have a, a family, you have good reputation, everything is good. Then you get to chapter two. Chapter two, the devil comes before God to give an account. And again, just a reminder, folks, the devil is not out there just going rampant, whatever. He still is under the authority of God. Now, because man allows sin into the world, the devil is given that opportunity to create havoc. But folks, I've got good news for you. There is coming a day in which the devil will be gotten rid of for all eternity, and we won't have to deal with him anymore. And I'm telling you what, as a child of God, as a follower of Jesus, I can't wait for that day. But here he comes to give an account. And I love this. God says... to to the devil. Hey, uh, hey, Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Let me just stop there for a second. Could God say the same thing about you? Hey, 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 devil, have you considered my servant and put your name in there? Or would the devil come to God and be like, hey, have you seen your servant? Look at what he or she's doing. Job had such a life that God is able to brag on him and says, have you considered my servant? The devil says, well, of course, because you've blessed him. He's living the dream. Of course he's going to follow you. Let me at him and he'll curse you. He says, okay, you can touch all that Job has, but you cannot touch Job's life. And so he goes and the devil, now don't miss this, the devil kills all of Job's children. The devil takes away all of his business and all of his prosperity and all that he has. The devil tries to destroy Job. And I'm looking at some folks in a group this size that you think serving the devil brings joy and prosperity. And I'm here to tell you, the devil hates humanity. He never does anything to benefit us. In fact, Jesus said that the enemy's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. 
And for those of you that are thinking that doing it his way is the best way, is the way that will bring you happiness and things, let me tell you, that is a lie from the pit of hell. The enemy wants to only destroy you. Keep that in mind next time you're tempted to not do what God says. So the devil takes all that away. And here's what it says about Job. And yet he did not curse God. He lost his children. He lost his possessions. He lost all that he had. And it said, and yet he did not curse God. Devil comes back before God. God says, devil, have you seen my servant Job? Yeah, well, God, that's because you didn't let me touch his life. Yeah, you can take away the possessions and stuff, but let me afflict his life. God says, you can afflict him, but you can't kill him. He afflicts Job to the point that he's sitting there scraping his skin because of the boils. Now, if you've ever had poison ivy, you kind of know a small taste of what that's like. You scratch and scratch and scratch, and as soon as you finish, guess what you want to do more of? Scratch and scratch. He has afflicted him greatly where he cannot get any rest or any break from this. And yet, Job doesn't curse God. You say, but, but Randy, why through all of that, why didn't he, why didn't the devil take Job's wife? Well, some people say, well, the reason that he didn't was because that she said to Job, sweetheart, darling, curse God and die. Now, does that sound like it's very uh, on your side? No, but let me, let me show it to you from a different perspective. You see, men, when you got married to your wife, God sees you as one, not two. You say, Randy, where do you get that? What does the Bible say? Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife, and they shall be what? One. So when God sees Randy and Kathy, he doesn't see us two different people. He sees us as one. We fail to understand that sometimes in the significance of marriage. But also... When she says to him, curse God and die, you've said some of the similar things, but maybe didn't realize it. Have you ever had a loved one that maybe was in the nursing home or a hospital, and maybe they've been in a car accident, or maybe they've been battling cancer or whatever, and they're just struggling? And the doctors have said, you know, pretty much there, there's no way for them to come through this. And you see them struggling for each breath. And you say something like this, God, please just go ahead and take them home. Are you saying you're tired of them living? No. But it kills you to see them suffer to that extent. Does that make sense? Job's wife sees Job struggling and suffering. And in her mind, she thinks that God is angry with him for some reason. That for whatever reason, Job has angered God. And what she's saying is, it kills me to see you doing this. Just go ahead and finish the job. Curse God and die. Be put out of your misery. But you see, she didn't understand, just like Job's friends did. See, there were these three friends that come down. 
Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, and they come down to meet with Job, and they're saying something like this, hey, Job, listen, nobody else is around, just me and you. What have you done that God is punishing you for? And Job's like, nothing. Come on, Job. These things don't happen unless you've done something wrong. So go ahead and tell us, tell us what's, what's wrong. You ever have people in your life that assume that you were doing something wrong and just kept trying to after and after, and you're like, I don't know of anything. That was Job. And then you get to the end of the story, and Job says, if God were here, I would reason with him. It's a, really a lawyer's term. I would have that debate with him to make my case. God shows up, and Job's like, uh-oh. And God says, Job, where were you when I created the Leviathan? Where were you when I created all the cosmos, all the universe? Where were you, Job? Do I need your blessing to do anything, or do you just need to trust me? And Job says, I trust you. Then, the very last chapter of the book, God blesses Job and gives him twice of what he had before. Now, folks, I just gave you a lot in a very short time. But that is Job's life in an overview. And so what I want us to look at is, I believe there are three things that help us to understand how God worked in that whole story. But to help to kind of give an umbrella for that. Remember, ladies, for Mother's Day, I gave you Proverbs 31.25 as our umbrella that she wears strength and dignity. And we kind of use that as the overview. Well, today, guys, I want to give you an overview that will help you to understand this aspect of Job's life, spiritual power, and it's found 1 Corinthians 16, 13. When you guys leave, we have a gift for you. It's a koozie outside, has a nice drinks have been on ice since Friday, so it should be nice and cold. But on this koozie, it has the Journey logo, but it also has this verse. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. And men, yes, this message is applicable and true for ladies as well, but I want to just do a special call out to men. It's time we as men understand that God made us men for a reason. In our society today, there is a push to say there is no difference between a man and a woman. And although God loves us both the same, and although God has created us both male and female, as Scripture tells us, guys, I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to figure out men and women are different. God made us that way. And I am thankful, listen to me carefully, I'm thankful that he did because my wife and I complete each other. I'm thankful that my wife has sweetness where many times I am short and brass. Where I'm sarcastic, I'm thankful that she has that sweetness to balance it out. I am thankful that God made men and women differently. And men, he has made you to be the spiritual leader in your home. He has made you to be the one that will stand up and protect for your family, not just in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense. And man, let me give this to you. This one's free. We often like to say from Ephesians 5, 22, wives submit unto your own husbands. 
But men, don't you dare ask your wife to submit to you when you're not submitting to Jesus Christ. Because the way that it works is Jesus Christ is the head. Men submit to him, and then God leads to them through the wife and through the kids. But there is a way that God has designed for the family to be. That's not a church thing. That's not a man thing. That's a God thing. And men, it's time that we quit saying, well, church, that's for my wife to handle. Men, church is for you to handle. Spiritual things are for you to handle. Yeah, your wife needs to do her part. Yeah, your wife needs to have her walk with Christ. Yeah, that is true. But we cannot say, well, I have to be the breadwinner and I have to do this. But when it comes to church, how many times have you heard people say this? Mama made sure I went to church. Thank God for mamas that do that. But men, God wants us to be there leading our families spiritually. When you see that phrase, act like men, it's really a military term. It really means to get together and fight. Now, I'm just curious, how many of you in here have ever played paintball? Anybody ever play paintball? Okay. Paintball is about as close as you can get to what combat must be like without actually using bullets and things. When you go out and play paintball, it's easy to go out there and be, oh, yeah, man, we're going to conquer the other team. And one time I, I took a group out, and we had this guy that he was talking the talk, but he was going to show everybody how fierce of a fighter he was. So those of us that have been before decided we were going to test his mettle. So when we got to playing, we all sought him out above everybody else, and we just started pinning him down and firing Literally, as these bullets were going past his head, he sat there in the fetal position and just started yelling, help, help. Now, ladies, how many of you be proud and go, that's my man. That's the kind of guy I want to be married to that going gets tough and he's down in the fetal position going, help. This word here, when it says act like men, is not that example. It's, you know what? God's called me to spiritual battle. God's called me to fight. He's given me the the weapons that I need. He's given me the equipment that I need. Ephesians chapter 6, and I am going to step up to the plate, and I am going to fight. And by the way, ladies, it's not just for men to do that. It's for ladies as well to step up and fight that spiritual battle. So when it says act like men, it means basically get in the fight. Quit being on the sidelines, quit saying it's up to everybody else. You get in and act. Put it to action. Don't just tell it. Put it to action and be the warrior. Church, I can't tell you how strongly I am advocating to you that we need men and women that will step up and say, I want to be that warrior God's called me to. But we see this example in Job. And it is so important because our communities need it, our homes need it, our nation needs it, our church needs it, for men and women to do what God has called you to do. Job is an example. Now now catch this, because a lot of times you're going to say, well, God used people like that, but, but he can never use me. Okay, Job is an example of an ordinary man 
with an ordinary spiritual power. Did you catch that? An ordinary man. He was no superman. He wasn't 10 feet tall. He wasn't able to leap buildings in a single bound. All that you see in chapter 1 was a man who sought God intentionally, who sought God passionately, and God rewarded him. So what does it take for us to have that kind of spiritual power in our life, that kind of spiritual effectiveness? Well, the first thing is this. We have to have favor with God. Job 1.1 says this. There was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Pretty good description. Guys, would you be content with having that kind of description said about you? Ladies, would you be example? Said there was a woman in the land of us? Yeah, great description. But you know what? Maybe it's wrong. Because, you know, sometimes people are self-grandiose. But let me tell you what I can do. But in case we don't believe that, look at what it says in verse 8. And the Lord said to Satan, okay, so who's speaking here? The Lord, God, himself. He says, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth? Hmm. There is none like him on the earth. Is that a pretty clear statement? God speaking. What he is saying, out of all the people that are on the earth, there is no one closer to him than Job. Let that sink in. What made Job so extraordinary? Because he sought God. And God said, here he is, none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. So here God says, let me tell you about this man, Job. He's blameless, he's upright, he fears me, and he turns away from evil. By the way, let me just kind of give you a, a, a different way of saying that last part. Remember God speaking to Satan? God says this, Satan, he comes to me, he runs from you. I love that. He clings to me, he flees you. You see, if we're going to have that favor with God, we've got to have these characteristics in our lives. So let's look a little bit closer. What does it mean to be blameless? Does it mean that he never sinned? No, that's not it. Blameless is in his relationship with flesh. It would be like if we had Job here today and we brought him up in front of everybody and we said this, all right, guys, here's Job. Anybody got anything to say negative about Job? Has Job wronged any of you and not corrected it? Anybody have any wrong with Job? And all of you would say, no. Anything that he did that maybe was against me, he's made right, I have no problem with Job. By the way, this word blameless is the same one that's used in the New Testament to talk about elders. That's why we bring elders up before you and say, is he blameless? Anybody have any reason why he should not be an elder? That's this case. Among humanity, everybody said, Job is right. We know that because when Job's wife and Job's friends come to him and they're saying, okay, listen, 
We know God punishes sin. And we see what we believe is God's punishment in your life. Therefore, something must be wrong. But here is the thing. They didn't know what it was. You didn't see Zophar coming down going, uh, Job, you remember, I told you that custom was going to catch up to you. I told you, you go and getting drunk on Friday night was not a good idea. Nobody had anything to accuse Job of, and they're asking him, what could it be? What is it? What have you done? Can that be said of you? Or there are people that be like, oh, they go to your church. Job was blameless. But then it says upright. Upright is in his relationship with God. Upright is this. Anything that was done before God, Job confessed it, made sacrifices for it, and it was done. There was no outstanding sin with Job as far as God was concerned. And you see this phrase upright that's used because a lot of times we talk about being weighed down with the burden of sin. Job was able to stand upright. He didn't have that. Everything was clear between him and God. And by the way, can I remind you, this is God saying it. So it's not like Job saying, no, I'm good with God. God saying, no, Job's good with me. Can, can you say that today? Or are there things that you know are not right between you and God? But then he goes off just to make it, because a lot of times in Hebrew literature, you'll have this coupling that is used to show strength and symmetry. Now he gives two more descriptions, and he says, fear God. Job feared God. Well, what does that mean? That means that he sought God's approval first before he did man. God, I fear, I respect what you say. So God, what is it you want? And that's what I'll do. When I was growing up and my dad had guidelines and stuff set up for me, curfews and things, when other guys got out and said, hey, my dad said I can stay out to 11. If my dad said be home by 10, guess what I knew that meant? Be home by 10. I couldn't go home to dad and be like, uh, dad, uh, Joe's dad said he could be in 11. So is that, I just figured that was the same for me. Dad would say, you knew better. I respected what my dad said. I respected what he wanted. Not what everybody else said. Not trying to look for things that would make me better. But God, what is it my dad said? Job said, God, I want to do what you say is right. Not what my flesh says, not what other people say, but what you say is right. But then on the flip side of that, he hated evil. He turned away from evil. Okay, listen to me, church, and don't miss this. You cannot truly, completely fear God and not hate evil. If you still love sin, then you're not truly fearing God. That would be like if, if the doctor says to you, hey, uh, you need to cut out sweets for a while. We're going to try something. You need to cut out sweets. You say, okay, I am committed to this plan. And, and that night you have a piece of cake. And maybe your friend or your spouse or your children, because children are good at calling these things out. Uh, but maybe your children say, I saw that piece of cake. And you say this, well, normally I would have two, so I feel pretty good I'm down to one. 
No, you're not truly committed unless you don't have any sweets. You can't be truly committed to God and fear Him and respect Him and, and want His approval above everything else and still hold on to sin. You can't do it. Before you can be a leader in your family or in your world, you must be a follower of God. Because if you're not following Him, where are you leading people to? You ever thought about that? We have the glorious invention of a GPS. And sometimes cars have them in there, and, and ours does. And sometimes if we're going together with people, they'll say, hey, you've got GPS right in your car. Uh, we'll follow you. But if I think I know where we're going, and I don't plug it into GPS, I may be right, and I may be wrong. And when we get there, I can't say, oh, sorry, guys, we, we didn't get here in time because GPS led us wrong. No, GPS wasn't even on. Who you're following is where others that follow you will get to. You can't expect people to follow you if you're not following God. Because all they're going to do is follow you, and then they're going to get focused on you and get disappointed and discouraged, and they think it's God's fault, but your direction never was on God. Parents, please, please, please make sure your focus for your family is God, and you do that by following Him. Not just giving it to chance and saying, well, we're just going to do the best we can. That never brings anybody comfort. It is when you say, we are following what God says to do. We're following His leadership. To be a friend of God, you must be a foe of the enemy. You can't be friends with both. Jesus said that. You can't have two masters, for you will love the one and hate or despise the other. Job was a man who held tightly to God and said, Devil, I don't care what you have to offer. I don't care what it is. God is my everything. And he was blessed for doing that. Church, is that you? Are you holding that tightly to God? Are you following him that closely? Or are you just kind of dabbling it in and mixing it in and go, eh, that's good for Sundays, but the rest of the week I've got other things to do. Job said, it doesn't matter the day of the week, I'm following God. And he had favor from God. Well, then that led him to number two, being the spiritual family protector. Being the one who looks after the spiritual nature and direction of the family. Job 1.5 says this, and when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all, talking about his children and their families here. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. You see, what was happening was the children got together and said, hey, we're going to have a party. Come over to my house. Dad wasn't invited. Now, I'm an only child, so I don't know this from experience. But I, I do know from others that sometimes when siblings get older, they do things that they know their parents wouldn't approve of, so they just don't get invited to the party. And maybe some parents here today go, mm-hmm, I've suspected that. Job was not concerned with not getting invited to the party. 
Job knew his kids were young. He knew what was going on. And that's why Job said, you know what? My, my responsibility is I am here to watch over them and pray for them. Because you see, in the Old Testament time, the father was the priest of the family. He was the one to make sure that the sacrifices got offered. That's why Job was going out and was making these dedications, these sacrifices. He is offering these burnt offerings to God, saying, God, it could be that my children are wrong and I don't know what's happening in their hearts, so God, I'm just consecrating them to you. God, I'm giving them to you. When the children partied, Job prayed. When the children were only thinking about, hey, this is feel good, this is what I want to do, this is a good time, Job prayed. He watched over their spiritual condition. Because you see, guys, we get, we get the idea that to protect our families physically. Right? We get that. But I think what we don't get is that we are called to protect our families spiritually. There should be no one that's praying more for your wife and your kids than you. Listen to me. If I'm praying more for your family than you are, there's something wrong. You can't leave it to the pastor to do it. You can't leave it to others. It is your responsibility to do. Because he knew the spiritual battles that they were facing because as a roaring lion, our enemy walks about seeking who he will devour. And Job said, not on my watch. But he understood something. Job was a father first and a friend second. Now, I love my daughter. I love hanging out with my daughter. She's pretty cool. Takes it after her mother. But when we were raising Anna, guess what? There were times that Anna probably didn't always want to hang out with me. And, and to the, the ones that we dedicated, and where did Jane? To Ellery, there you are. Now's the time to have this discussion with Ellery, okay? I did this with Anna when she was about that age and all the way through. You will not date till you're out of high school. And guess what? When Anna was Ellery's age, she was fine with it. She didn't argue a bit. When she got to Willow's age, she didn't argue a bit. She was fine with it. It wasn't till middle school. And we would have daddy-daughter dates, and we were at one, and she said, Dad, give me your biblical reasons again why I can't date till after high school. I said, sure. It's called Dad, chapter 1, verse 1. Boys are stupid. Stay away. <laughs> but we, I just shared with her things scripturally that led to that. She said, okay, Dad. When she got through high school and she got out of high school, she came back to her mom and me and she said, thank you. I didn't always see it. Didn't always like it. But you were watching out for me even when I thought you were just being mean. You see... You don't always worry about being the friend first. Now, I have never purposely set out to just try to make her life as hard as it could be to show that I'm dad and she's daughter. I do it because I love her. 
because I want what's best for her. I want her to be as protected as much as I can. But you know what? At the end of the day, guess what? It now comes to her. She has to make those decisions. But does that mean I stop praying for her? Absolutely not. Not only did he realize that he was father first and friend second, but this, he realized his watch had to be constant. He couldn't give up. It couldn't just be a once or twice a week thing. It had to be consistent. I'm there watching and guarding and protecting. This thought hit me when I was studying through this, and so I wrote it out for you. Job didn't ask his kids, do you want me to watch over you? Do you want the spiritual protection? Is, Is it okay if I seek God's blessing for your life? Job said, I love my kids, I'm going to do it. Dads, moms, we live in a culture today where we try to protect our kids against strangers, against internet problems and poachers. But are you protecting your kids against the enemy? As Ephesians 6 talks about, against that spiritual wickedness, the spiritual darkness, is that what you're fighting against? Are you aware of that or are you naive to it? It's not really that big a deal. I mean, what does it really matter? It matters everything. And Job understood that. So Job not only had the spiritual power in his personal life, he not only carried that through to his family, but also to his friends. He had friends' authority. Because you see, the people, his friends, thought he was sinning. Obviously, that's gotta be the answer for why all these bad things are happening. But you see, they were invoking God when God's like, I didn't say that. So God gives the friends this message. Look at what it says in Job 42, verse eight. Now, therefore, God speaking, take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. Why? For you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. You try to say... It was me that was mad at Job. You tried to say that it was me who was causing these things, and it was not so. Job had such a reputation, such a relationship with God, that God said this, if you want my blessing, if you want my pardon, you got to come through Job. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Is that still true today? Well, the New Testament tells us in Matthew 5 and in Matthew 18, it says this, if you come to bring your gift to God and there you remember that you have something wrong with a brother, leave your gift there, go get it made right, then come back and make your offer, make your sacrifice, make your gift. There might be some of you here Today that you need to go to some friends and make some things right. I said some pretty bad things about you. I've assumed some pretty bad things about you. I need to get that right. Job 
was told by God to be the one that the friends had to go to before God would hear him. Have you ever been wrongfully accused of something? Somebody thought something about you. Somebody came to that conclusion. Several years ago, there was, a, was an incident that happened, and this person didn't know the whole truth, didn't know whole, the whole story. So they came to me and said some pretty hard, wrong things. And here's what I told them. I'm praying for you for truth to be made known. By the way, church, as long as you live in truth, you don't have to fear the truth. Truth sets you free. When you're not living in truth, you don't want the truth to come out. I said, I'm praying for you that you'll see truth. A couple months later, he came back to me and he said, listen, I've learned some things and I was wrong. Will you forgive me? You see, when you will do right and have that walk with Christ and not compromise and not have it be false or pretense, it gives you spiritual authority. It gives you that spiritual excellence that sets the pattern for others and shows the way for them to come. Job did that. Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar all had to do it because they judged Job, listen to me carefully, based on what they thought was true. And if you're taking notes, and even if you're not taking notes, write this next section down, write this next quote down. External conditions do not accurately represent spiritual condition. A lot of times we'll see somebody going through a, a tough time, and we well, I bet they're struggling with God, I bet they're sinning their life. You know, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Isn't it amazing how we can throw verses out when it kind of benefits our perspective? You see, Job's friends could have thrown that same verse and been like, well, Job, these things don't happen just by, by circumstance. God chastens those that he loves. Okay, is it true that God chastens those that he loves? Yes. But does it mean that if you're going through a difficult time that God's chastening you? No. Because sometimes it's the enemy, like it was with Job, trying to discourage you. And sometimes, church, we are the first ones to throw people out and be like, well, they're struggling. I bet they're sinning. Instead of coming alongside and going, hey, can we join you? Listen to me. How, how do you tell the difference? Here, here's, here it is. Can we join with you and pray for truth to be made known? Wow. Because again, if I'm following Christ, I want truth to be made known. Why? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So I want truth to be made known. I'm not afraid of the truth. So if people are going through things and going, man, I don't understand why this is happening. I don't understand why this is taking place. Hey, can we join with you and just pray for truth to come out? Because sometimes when you do that, conviction comes on that person if there is sin and they get it made right. If it's not sin, if they're like Job and they really don't know where this is coming from, it encourages them that are people that are saying, listen, I don't know what's happening, but I'm just going to join with you in praying for truth. We don't make the wrong assumption, but we come alongside and help. God tells the friends, you have to go through Job. Even with all that Job had been through, even with all the trials, even with all the heartache, God says you have to go through Job. 
that even through all of that, Job maintained his spiritual authority. Is your faith and your walk with God on a level that allows God to bless them through you? I want you to think about that. Because you see, when I'm up on this stage, it's easy to be like, oh, well, he's the preacher. Obviously, he's perfect. But these two have to live with me. Bless their hearts. If I say something up here and I don't live it here, listen to me, I'm a fraud, a phony, a fake. If I speak it up here, and if you own a business and I come into your business and I don't live it there, then it's wrong. Men, women, God's calling you to live such a life of spiritual excellence that God can be seen in you that you will be there not only walking right in your own life, but for your family, for your friends, for your church family, for others. We have believed into the enemy's lie that that isn't possible anymore or it doesn't really matter anymore. And my friends, I'm here to tell you, it matters greatly. Job was not some extraordinary man. He was just a simple man that saw God for who he was and said, I fear you and I hate evil. Can you imagine what would happen in your homes, in our church, in our community, if every one of you here today would say, I'm gonna follow Job's example. I'm going to pursue that spiritual excellence. I'm going to choose to, to follow God, to fear Him, and to hate evil. My friend, it can be so. God's called us to it. He doesn't call us to it if it's not possible. But the answer is, will you answer that call? Will you have that kind of spiritual power in your life that when people see you, they see God? I pray it be so in my life in my wife's life, in my daughter's life, in your life. Church, are you ready to see what a life looks like that pursues spiritual excellence, that spiritual authority with God? What a revival, what a transformation will take place, but it has to start with you. Are you ready? to be like Job. Father, thank you for the truth of your word today. Thank you, Father, for the example of Job that we have that gives us that example to follow. That, Father, it's not impossible. But as we looked at before, with you, all things are possible, and you've called us to this. So if you call us to it, you will give us the strength and ability to do it. So we pray for that. Father, may you raise up today many men and women that would pursue the example that Job has given and we would have that spiritual excellence. And Father, I just put a special call out today 
for dads. That they would look to see are they that spiritual powerhouse for their family to be protected, but not only be protected, but to grow and to flourish. Father, may you do so today in our hearts. For it's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. If you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ, none of this is possible without Jesus Christ. But I'm so thankful that you can be saved today. If you will accept Jesus Christ, what he did on Calvary, and invite him into your heart and to be your Lord and Savior, confess your sin, he said he will forgive it and you will be saved. That can happen today. You can become a child of God today, and we invite you to that. But if you're here and you say, Randy, I know I'm saved, but I'm nowhere near Job. Would you take this time to confess those things? Maybe God brought things to your mind that are keeping you from that. Maybe it's a particular sin. Maybe it's pride. Maybe whatever it is. And you just say, Lord, I, I want to hate evil, and I want to cling to you. And today would be the day that you would say, Lord, I want that spiritual excellence in my life. And during the first song that the worship team does, I just encourage you to come to this place. You can do it where you're at, but I've just found that when you have that boldness and that courage to step out, it helps to just solidify it in your mind. Just like with the parents dedicating their, their children to the Lord, it just solidifies it in your mind. So if God calls you to, I just encourage you to come to this place and just say, Lord, give me that spiritual excellence. Give me that relationship that Job had with you where you could say to the enemy, have you considered my servant and put your name there. During the second song, the usher team will come. We didn't invite you here today to try to get money from you. We wanted you to see Jesus. So if this is your first time with us, just let the bucket pass on by. Church, we need more Jobs. And my question is, are you willing to have that kind of relationship with God that Job did? If so, start today. Don't wait till tomorrow. Start today. May we leave here pursuing spiritual excellence, spiritual powerhouses for the glory of God.